I'm excited to welcome you as we gather as the Christ Journey family once again, and I always look forward to Sundays when we can visit in the presence of God and invite his blessing upon us. So whether you're joining us at Kindle Campus or here at Gables Campus or across the nation or around the world, literally to all of our church online guests today, our prayers are with you. We greet you in the name of God who so loves the world. And today our prayers are with people God loves in our world, people in Manchester, people in Afghanistan, people in London who are grieving and are feeling the loss of love. And so we want, we, we want you to know that we are praying with you. If you're joining us from one of those countries, we're praying for you and asking God to bless you and carry you through this difficult time. And if you're ever in Miami, please come and let us make it personal. Um, you know what? You would hardly expect this. It has to be one of the great ironies of our time. You'd never expect it, but experts say it's happening. It's happening now. In a world of sensory overload, um, in an entertainment culture that is designed to stimulate every sensation all the time, in a society that is engineered for instant gratification, instant information, and digitally has us virtually connected to anything at any time, we are bored. Reader's Digest, quote, despite its extraordinary variety of diversions and resources, its frenzy for spectacles, its feverish pursuit of entertainment, America is bored. Boredom is the disease of our time. How many of us, how many of you have said in the last month, I'm so bored. I, I, what, hey, what am I gonna do? I'm so bored. The Archbishop of Wales recently was quoted, we are a deeply, dangerously bored society. And we are reluctant to look at the root of that. Why do we want to escape from the glories and difficulties of everyday life? Why do we want to escape into gambling or drugs or any other kind of fantasy? Why have we um, created a culture that seems more in love with fantasy than reality? We should be asking, what's happened to us? Why are we so bored, close quote. Another sociologist offers this, quote, entertainment, gambling, sports, drugs, media may be palliating or masking boredom so that people do not realize their own hidden hungers. Do you have hidden hungers that you're trying to find fulfillment for, satisfaction for, and yet you still feel bored? New York Times article, quote, we live in remarkable times of remarkable events. And then it goes on saying with hundreds of concerts, with multiple movies, with unnumbered TV channels and online videos. And yet it concludes this way, just as a drug user develops a tolerance and needs larger doses to achieve the same effect, so too have we developed a tolerance to amazing events. Is that true? Man, we're surrounded by stimulating, high stimulation events on every side and we still feel numb. We're bored with life. We have more entertainment than ever in the history of humanity, but there seems to be an epidemic of boredom uh, that people feel. By the way, I'm so glad, you know, that they've come up with that little fidget spinner because now I don't have to be bored when I'm just sitting there. I give me something to do, right? Why? What's the root of boredom? 
Isn't it dissatisfaction? We have unfulfilled longings. Uh, to be bored means you have no absorbing or commanding passion that is lighting you up. How ironic, how ironic that we have everything to live with in an affluent materialistic culture, but we have nothing to live for? No passion. Okay, we're well-fed, some overfed. Is this true? We, we are uh, successful and we are self-defined, perhaps more than any other generation, any other time. Self-defined and yet we feel bored, empty, dissatisfied, relating to any of that. So what do we do? Well, culturally, here's what we do. We turn to adrenaline and testosterone. Adrenaline through extreme behaviors, try to get that rush, and then testosterone through uh, the illusion of pornography with its false portrayal of sex and beauty. I mean, you know, the responsibility of and committed marriage is so boring, right? So, and then especially in a culture that spends billions, with a B, billions of dollars advertising to us all the time without fail in so many ways, obey your thirst. You know, like you have no choice but to follow your appetites. Professor Jean Vaith, Vaith Vaith, I think, culture editor of World Magazine writes this, quote, boredom is a chronic symptom of a pleasure-obsessed age. When pleasure becomes one's number one priority, the result, ironically, is boredom. Boredom. Would you, would you isn't it true that we all feel bored sometimes? That we all feel dissatisfied? With all of this, we still have that? What do we do? What do we do? Well, you would expect me to say this, but I think Augustine nails it when he said, thou hast formed us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. And rest, he wasn't talking about taking a nap. He was talking about finding ultimate satisfaction. Have you ever thought about God as being a satisfier in your life. God, who knows your longings, who knows the, the deep heart cries of your soul, and then who cares enough to meet them. That God wants satisfaction to come to your heart. That's what the good news of the gospel is all about. That's what the Christ journey is about. And it starts by finding Christ and experiencing forgiveness of sin in Christ. And then it continues by following Christ and experiencing the fullness of God through his spirit. The one who makes us whole, W-H-O-L-E. You know what that is? That means that missing piece of the puzzle. You know, when you put all the other pieces together and there's that one missing part and then you find it, it's like, ah. That's what Christ is to our longings, God's satisfier, and to satisfy you from the inside out, your spiritual heart and center. That's why Paul writes in one of the letters of the New Testament that the risen ruling Christ has every, he is head over everything. Here's what he says, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Whoa, that's a lot of fullness. Everything in every way. Can you imagine what that must be like? John says it too. 
John, the beloved apostle, he writes this, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. God isn't rationing out, you know, oh, I'll be nice to you today. No, <laughs> how great is the love of God the Father who has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, children of God. That's a wow, right? This is what we are. We are that in Christ. Simon Peter, given the keys of the kingdom, he writes this in his letter, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Have you ever thought about God wanting you to have everything you need for life and godliness? That all three of these, Paul, Peter, John are saying, God can be your ultimate satisfier. God's got what you need. God's got all you need. God's made provision to get you what you need by, in Christ, by his spirit. And what is left for you is to invite the delight of the eternal one into your everyday. Now we're beginning a new series today called The Wow Factor, and here's what we're asking God. How can you get God's wow into your now? How can you invite the delight, the delight of the eternal one into your everyday? Imagine this, you welcoming the allness of God, the fullness of his spirit, the wholeness of salvation, and the oneness in Christ into you, into your life. Would that be a wow? Well, that's part of what God wants in your now. Now, how can it happen? Well, I wanna look at two amazing stories, one from the Old Testament, another from the New Testament. And the first one is a young man in the Old Testament. His name is Isaiah, Isaiah chapter six. Won't take you long to read it, I hope you'll do. Read it for yourself. Um, but it happened to a young man named Isaiah. His world is in turmoil. Uh, one of the best leaders of the nation has just died and people are grieving, he's among them. It's like, man, what's gonna happen now? And so he goes to the place of praise. He goes to the house of worship with his troubles. He goes to the temple and here's what happened to him. In the year King Uzziah died, he says, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. He was, he was seated on a throne, he was high, he was exalted. The train of his robe filled the whole temple where he was seated. And um, I'm thinking, okay, the earthly throne is empty. This is his scenario, exposing the void and the vacuous nature of human leadership. But God is still on his throne, and I'm, that's not a bad way to start your day, right? In the throne room of God, embracing the experience of God. And then what Isaiah has happened to him, you gotta read this. The, the power angels are there, he's not alone. The power angels are there, the seraphim are there, and they got six wings. Isaiah said they were, you know, he saw them, they all had six wings. With two of their wings, they covered their faces. With two of their wings, they covered their uh, feet. And the other two wings, they're hovering in place. Hovering in place in a temple, how does that happen? I'm thinking maybe like a hummingbird? You know, angels hover like hummingbirds. I'm thinking those wings had to be whipping up some kind of wind in that place, right? The wind, he's feeling it. Well, he sees them and he says they are, they are praising God with such power that the doors are shaking off their hinges. And then, uh, holy, 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 they say, is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah says the place is filled with smoke. I mean, you think about it. They had covered angels, covered angels, hovering angels, wind whipping, the doors shaking, smoke blowing, and the whole earth is full of his glory. In other words, the angels see what Isaiah hasn't yet, that not only is the temple, not only is the throne room covered 
the temple covered, but the entire planet is covered with the glory of Almighty God. That's wow. That's like perspective, right? That's like, don't tell God how big your storm is. Tell your storm how big God is. That's wow right here. Isaiah's blown away. And then he's cut to the heart. This is what happens next. You should read it for yourself though. <laughs> he suddenly, um, uh, he, he suddenly, well, he's in front of the throne. Can you imagine yourself in front of the throne of God? What would you say? Wow. Maybe not. Maybe you'd say what Isaiah did. He said, whoa, whoa am I. He, felt, he said, I'm undone. He suddenly saw things about himself that he had been hiding perhaps. And the light was exposing this mess that he brought into the, the house of God that day. And he said, you know, I, I've got ruin rotting away inside of me. And then he names it. He said, I got a dirty mouth. I am a man of unclean lips is actually how he says it. And as soon as he says it, this is what happened. One of the power angels brings fire from the altar and puts it on his lips and says, your sin is atoned for. I'm thinking he turns his woe into a wow. The wow of God's forgiveness. You know what? That's what God wants to do for you. That's what he does. And this is how he does it. As soon as we confess it, he, he convicts us. And as soon as we confess it, you know what he does? He cleanses us. This is the way God deals with our failures, our moral issues. Now, the devil doesn't do it that way. The devil will say, you know, he'll, he'll take you on, a, he'll accuse you, and then he'll take you on a guilt trip, and he will shame you the whole time. He's telling you what a loser you are, and what a low life you are, and all kinds of put downs, why God would have no reason to spend any time with you. But notice what God does. As soon as Isaiah fesses up to what his issue is, man, God's got it covered. He brings the fire, he brings the spirit, and then he brings the call. He convicts, he cleanses, and then he calls Isaiah to face his day from a different perspective, from a throne room perspective. He says, I got business in the world. I got to send somebody who's going to go. And what does Isaiah say? Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> pick me, pick me. Here am I. Send me. Thinking that's not a bad way to start your day with forgiveness that covers your sin and with a message that could change the world. Story number two, Acts chapter two, day of Pentecost, the ancient feast of harvest. Actually, today is Pentecost Sunday in the Christian calendar. Did you know that? Um, it comes 50 days after Passover, first instituted when Passover was brought into being, uh, when the blood of the lamb was put on the doorpost of the houses so that the destroyer would pass over the houses of the Hebrews in Egypt so that they could be freed from slavery. Now, in the book of Acts, day of Pentecost, Jesus' disciples, just seven weeks earlier, have been with Jesus. From the day of, when the day of Pentecost came, seven weeks earlier, they had just had Passover with Jesus. He'd been in the upper room with them, and he had actually taught them, you know, this is really about me. This bread that we're eating, that's my body. That, this this uh, wine that we're drinking, that's my blood. It represents my blood. And what's really being taught here is I'm God's Passover lamb and, and I am making a way for forgiveness to come to whoever will become one with me in faith. Receive me, take me into you, he says. And, uh, and now, so they had experienced the symbol of Passover with them, but now it's seven weeks later, 50 days later, and it's harvest time. So the disciples are in the upper room and they're praying, waiting, like Jesus said, the day 50 arrives. 
And Acts chapter two says, really should read this for yourself too. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and it fills the whole house where they were seated. That's verse two. Then chapter, verse three, next tongues of fire come to rest on every person. Okay, wind and fire. Isaiah had some experience with that, didn't he? And then look at this. All of them are filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in other languages by the Spirit's power. That's verse four. They're giving a message. They're given a message just like Isaiah was before they go out back into the streets. Next thing you know, people from all over the world are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of God's love in Christ in their own language, and they're coming to faith in Christ as an expression of the harvest Pentecost from the Passover of Jesus. Now, at Pentecost, let me ask you, would you have said, wow, maybe, maybe, but you know what they said witnessing it? What? is this, <laughs> what, what is going on here? And so Peter, here's one of them, because some of the people were saying this, you know what, they've had too much wine. That's verse 12, they actually said that. You know, they, they're, and Peter, he does a little apologetic work, he goes, no, it's only nine o'clock, the bars aren't even open yet. <laughs> yeah, check, see if that's what your Bible says, but. Uh, but he says, you know, the, it's nine o'clock. But he says, but we are under the influence. And here's what's happening. He says, this is what's really happening. God's spirit, just like the prophet said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Nobody's gonna be left out, verse 17. That's what's happening. This is, this is the time of God's wow, entering into our now. And why would he do that? Well, he says a little bit later, so everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved so that the ultimate satisfier of human need can be experienced by every person who is willing to call upon the name of the Lord. And then he explains Jesus' death, his resurrection, and he quotes a prophet, and then he quotes the Psalms. Psalm 116, verse 11. This is down in verse 28 of chapter two, book of Acts. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy. Does that sound like a satisfier to you? You will fill me with joy in your presence. And then the psalm actually ends with these words, eternal pleasures are at your right hand. Have you ever thought of God as a source of pleasure? But that's wrapped right in to the Pentecost message of the resurrection of Jesus, the coming of his spirit, and people receiving him, what God was doing in Christ. Peter gets up and says, hey everybody, God's your satisfier. <laughs> you ought to receive him because I'm sharing him. I'm tasting him right now and I'm sharing him right now. And guess what? By the chapter's end, 3,000 people are baptized and it says they're all having glad hearts and they're praising God. Wow. Now, what does that have to do with you? Would you be surprised if I told you that the ingredients of these experiences are available to you in your now? showing you how to invite the delight of the eternal one into your everyday. I think that's why the story's in here, for those with eyes to see and ears to hear. Now, not the special effects. God gives those as he chooses, you know, smoke, wind, fire. <laughs> but the other ingredients, holy word, holy spirit, holy calling to face the challenge of the day, now, forgiveness of sin, fullness of spirit, and then the opportunity to change the world, 
that you're living in. That to me, that's the wow factor we're talking about. Letting God's word by God's spirit bring forgiveness into your life, fullness into your soul, and then um, following God's calling in your everyday. But how? Well, let's just go back to the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. He said, you ought to pray like this. Your kingdom come. Oh, wait, king, that means there's a throne. Oh, wait, you mean I can begin every day in the throne room with God? Yeah, that's what he's saying. You can pull apart and you can say, God, you're still on the throne, right? Yeah, and I want your kingdom to come to my life. I want your will to be done on earth, that's my now, as it is in heaven, right? What's he saying? You can get God's wow into your now. How does the prayer begin? Our Father who lavishes us, We're his children. He wants to lavish his love upon us, John says. So Jesus says, you really ought to learn how to experience God as father because, and then when you place him in his rightful place, hallowed be thy name. What does hallowed mean? This means holy. Same thing the angels are saying around the throne. Holy, holy, holy is God. God, you are other than we are. You are higher than we are. You are purer than we are. You are greater than we are. You are all God and we're not. And hallowed be thy name means that you are central to all things. That though the world is in a mess, you know what? God's still got the world in his hand. And we're gonna start our day in the throne room remembering that God is on the throne and we are in his hands. And when we encounter God and honor God as God, when we put him in his rightful place on the throne over all, then Jesus says, then those other things you need in your life, they're, you know, they're the rest of the prayer. But it all starts here. He provides the kingdom resources for forgiveness and for fullness in life. Now, what if you were to do that before you tried to face the challenges of the day? Could you start your day investing some time with God in the throne room to let him remind you from his word how to welcome the eternal one into your every day? He said, but I got troubles. Okay, then bring your troubles in like Isaiah did. Isaiah comes in and says, man, the world's in such a mess. Good leaders are gone. What am I going to do? Oh, wait, God's still on the throne. Or like the disciples did. They just showed up because Jesus said, you know, show up and wait. Okay. (laughs) That doesn't sound too exciting, but I'm waiting because Jesus said I, I should get up and pray and wait. And so he did. And, uh, and then they got their visit. You know, if you need special effects, I'll tell you, just do what I do. You know what I do in the morning? I light my candle, I turn on the ceiling fan, I got fire, I got wind. <laughs> and then, <laughs> you laugh, but I do it. I did it this morning again. I do it every morning. I get up before dawn, I light the candle, I turn on the ceiling fan, I sit down with a cup of coffee and an open Bible, and I say, Lord, today, I need you today. I gotta have you today. I want you to rule my life today. I want you to run things today. I wanna show up, I want you to do it through me, but I don't wanna miss what you've got for me today. I open God's holy word, I invite the Holy Spirit to guide me, and you know what Peter did on Pentecost Sunday? He opened God's word, he quoted a prophet, he quoted the Psalms. Do you know what verses you could quote that God could show up on the streets with you? This is where we find out because we're opening the Bible, letting him speak to us in the morning, then he reminds us during the day. If you don't know where to start to have a time with God in the morning, I would suggest start with the book of Psalms. Why? It was the prayer book of Jesus. 
Jesus prayed his way through the Psalms. While you're reading the Psalms, then just ask the Holy Spirit, would you show me what Jesus saw when he was praying these in Hebrew? And you know what, how could you ask such a thing? Well, God's the Father's lavishing love upon you because you're one of his children. So ask him and then listen. Peter actually uses a Psalm. Did you know, by the way, Jesus was quoting the Psalms on the cross. That's how significant they are to him. And Peter quoted Psalm 16, verse 11 in his message about the impact of the resurrection of Jesus and what was happening at Pentecost. You have made known to me the paths of life. Would you like God to do that for you? You have filled me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Let God be your satisfier. That's a wow. Imagine starting your day with the eternal one, uh, the eternal pleasures of God, welcoming the allness of God, the fullness of the spirit, the wholeness of salvation, the oneness you have in Christ into your life. That's the wow factor into your everyday And I'll tell you what you'll discover. There's nothing boring about that because there's nothing boring about God. Now, religion is boring. And that may be why you don't do this kind of thing. But I'm telling you, that's not the real thing. Time with God is what can bring satisfaction and cure your boredom. And especially when you're following him, life becomes an adventure. Now, what's the right time to try to do this in your life? Well, Jesus is our model, right? We say we wanna find and follow Jesus. Jesus is our Lord. When did Jesus do it? Mark chapter one, verse 35. Very busy week in Jesus' life. But Mark lets us know this was one of Jesus' habits. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now that's where I do it. That's when I do it. I don't leave my house. (laughs) I got a solitary place in another room, you know? But that's, then I get there, I pray, I listen, I read the Bible, I pray. Sometimes I play worship songs, sometimes I sing, but I don't think it's about the time of day as much as it is about the start of day. Before you rise to face your day, that you're gonna start your day with God, your sunrise. Before you enter the battlefield, you are armored up. You know, it just makes common sense, right? Before, when, do you, when do you usually stretch, before or after your run? Oh, before. Okay, wait, wait, wait. When do you warm up, before or after the game? Oh yeah, before. Okay, musicians, here's a hard one for you. When do you usually tune your instrument, before the concert or after? Oh wait, before. (laughs) And then usually during as well, right? When should I be gathering manna? God tells Moses, here's when I want you to tell the people to get out there and get their feeding for the day. Exodus 16, 21. Each morning, gather as much as you need because when the sun gets hot, it melts. Jeremiah, in the midst of all of his struggles and suffering, you know what he discovered? God's mercies are still new every morning. And then there's that book of Psalms, Jesus' prayer book, as he's reading along. Can you imagine Jesus reading this one? Oh Lord, in the morning, will I direct my prayer to you and we'll look up. When is the best time to get God's wow, to invite God's wow into your now? I think it's the start of day. And remember, here's what we're doing. Christ followers, we're building a relationship with God. This is a relational journey that we're on. I cannot imagine getting up in the morning and not speaking to my wife until that night. 
You know, not only is it rude, it's not very helpful. And it won't make Bill a happy man. You know why? Because Bill won't have a happy wife. <laughs> My wife can be talking, but I'm saying, you know, I'm not talking to you till tonight. What's gonna happen? Not many good things. Because the secret is happy wife, happy life, right? That's what we've been, we, some of us are learning that. Um, but, so if we start the day talking to one another, if we start the day sharing our thoughts, sharing our feelings, talking about what challenges await us, sharing a meal, sharing a prayer of blessing, then it's like we're starting with delight. The delight of being in relationship helps us face our day. Did you know it's the same with God? Yeah. God wants to be in relationship with you. God wants to bring the pleasures of his right hand into your every day. And that's why the Holy Spirit has come. Can you imagine, you know, this God, he loves having conversation with us. When we're praying and when he's speaking, sometimes I'm just listening, sometimes I'm praising, sometimes I'm believing what he says, sometimes I'm disagreeing and asking him to help me understand. Sometimes I'm letting God's spirit correct me and then lead me to a better way, a better place. And that's what he's inviting all of us to do. God's holy word, God's holy spirit, God's holy calling. And every morning you just get up and open the spigot and let the living water flow again into your pipe, through the pipeline into your life and into your everyday. I'm just a branch abiding in a vine. I'm just a skin that's been filled with new wine. I'm just a piece of pottery that holds a treasure divine. That's all I am. I'm just a wire that flows with mighty power. I'm just the hose through which God's blessings shower. I'm the glove that holds the fist that makes the devil cower. That's all I am. Do you know what you are? You are a child of God. You are a younger brother, a younger sister of Jesus. You are a temple of God's Holy Spirit. So why not start beginning your day being what you are? and then bringing who you are to your life. When God's word says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, do you know what he's saying? It's so designed that God can fill the throne. God can take the throne and God can run the world and he wants to do it with and through you. So it's like this, imagine God bringing the fullness of heaven into your earth every day, just like Jesus prayed. You're my king and I want your agenda to be fulfilled in me as it's being done in heaven. Now may it be done on earth. Imagine beginning your day saying this, wow, I'm forgiven. There's nothing separating us. Wow, I am filled with God's spirit. I'm being empowered so that now, wow, I can face this day's challenge as an extension of God's presence to make a difference in my world. Do you think God could make your workplace a wow place? Do you think God could visit your marriage with a miracle? Where's the best place and time to welcome it? Now, I gotta tell you, it, it doesn't, uh, sometimes it, it doesn't mean it's easy. Sometimes the hardest thing I do is hold still and be quiet. And I feel guilty when I'm doing it. But you know what I've learned? I, I think it's because I've been addicted to busy. 
that I think if I just stay busy, then I must be being productive. And if I stop doing something, then I'm, I'm not something, you know? And God is saying, Bill, wait, wait, wait. No, seriously, wait, wait, sit down, slow down, listen. And as he does, he gets the opportunity to correct me, to guide my compass, to reset my compass and to convict me, and when he does, if I say right away, oh Lord, you know, it's my mouth, or it's my mind, it's my whatever, it's my, then you know what he does? He doesn't guilt or shame, he brings cleansing, immediate cleansing, why? Because he knows there's a calling that he wants to be done that day, and he would love for me to be in on it. Same thing for you. That's the wow factor. And then you know what you'll discover? That when you walk with the Lord, you don't get bored. Why? Because God is the ultimate satisfier. And if you really want to conquer boredom in your life, I'm telling you, this is so much more satisfying than sitting on a couch with a remote control, trying to entertain yourself out of stupor. Or spending all of your energy during the week so that you can go party all weekend long, you know, live for the weekend only to discover that you, you supposedly are full, but it's not satisfying. What is that? Well, to that, if you truly want to conquer boredom, when you've spent time with God and he gives you that calling of what comes next, get up and do it. Rise to walk in fullness of life. And here's what you'll discover. In the overflow of obedience lies the secret to a satisfied life. And you know what you'll say next? Wow. Would you pray with me? Thank you, God, that you love us so much, that you're so kind and patient, that you're so honest and transparent, that you designed us for yourself and you desire us to have fullness so that our lives can make a difference in a world that's so desperately in need. So I'm praying for sisters and brothers today, children, your children, that the hungers that we're feeling and the dissatisfaction that we're hiding would simply give us opportunity to say, Lord, I I need you, I want you. I'm so thirsty for you, I'm so hungry for you. Fill me once again, forgive me once again, cleanse me once again. Wherever right now God is bringing something to mind, the Holy Spirit putting his finger on it, would you just say, Lord, here it is. Take it, have it. And now fill me with your spirit. You designed me for yourself, Lord. And I am enthroning you in my will. And I am inviting you to fill me with your spirit's presence. Not because I deserve it, but because you have applied the blood of Jesus to my soul. And there's nothing that can separate me from you right now. So I receive it by faith as a gift of my salvation for the facing of this day. Thank you, Lord. And perhaps you're on the front end of your spiritual journey and you have not experienced Jesus personally yet, but you'd like to know how is it done? Well, it's as simple as saying, Lord Jesus, come into my life, forgive my sins, Fill me with your spirit. I receive the free gift of salvation because you died for me on the cross. Now I'm turning from my way to your way and inviting you to lead me 
that I might experience the pleasures at your right hand. In your name I pray. Now our heads still bowed just for a moment, but if you prayed that Christ would come alive in your life and would let me ask God's blessing upon that decision, would you simply raise your hand wherever you're seated and hold it up for a moment so that I'll have a chance to see throughout the room. If you're joining us online, there's an orange banner right there on the screen. And if you click that, we'll join you in prayer now. To my right against the wall, I'm seeing several hands. God bless you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then to my left, God bless you. Right down toward the front here, God bless you. Lord Jesus, for every man, for every woman who by uplifted hand has signified an open heart, we thank you that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we pray that you will start pouring satisfaction into their experience right now in joy and peace and freedom from guilt that can empower them to rise to a full life in you. In your name we pray, amen.